BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Clayton from Chicago, Illinois. And if I didn't spend so much time listening to better podcasts, I still wouldn't listen to I Doubt It with Dalmar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Episode 648 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page. I thought you were also going to say the um, seeing impaired. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask right away. The vision away, impaired. I was going to ask right away, why don't you have your glasses on? Well, sometimes I don't wear them. Uh, I know. And but you right all, now it's one of those times. Sometimes you don't wear them, uh-huh. but all the time mm-hmm. you need them. <laughs> yeah. So I use them when it's important. Oh, in the show. Like when I'm driving. Not important. Well, I can see my computer. I need it for seeing far away. Oh, I, I, okay. I don't need it for up close. I can, mm. I can see my computer. Mm-hmm. I can see you mm-hmm. in enough detail. I can... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can see the things that I need to see, is what I'm saying. In right enough now. detail. But moments that I need them, like driving or watching TV, for example. That's the example I'm talking about. Yeah, because we were watching The Morning Show, which is a new show on Apple TV. With... Fantastic show, by the way. Yeah, it's really good. It is kind of appears to be based on... Like the Matt Lauer situation, right? When he got fired from the Today Show. It's funny that you that you call it the Matt Lauer situation. Yeah. Because I almost p- piped in, tuned in, mm-hmm. chimed in, mm-hmm. spoke up in mm-hmm. with uh, Matt Lauer situation. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that whole a situation. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> you know, we know, we know with the door and the button and the... Um, sexual assault assault yeah <laughs> so um it's called the morning show and it's it's based on a morning show and it has Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell and we were watching the show and at one point there was a scene where Steve Carell was in bed and you already heard me say it's based on the Matt Lauer situation Steve Carell plays the Matt Lauer the, character the disgraced 
morning male morning show cohort. Right. Yeah. And so they show him in bed, and I thought he was in bed with like a model, like a, a beautiful woman was in bed. And I said to you, oh, my God, what, like, what's happening on the show right now? Who is he in bed with? Who's this model that he's in bed with? And you pause the TV and you say, go get your glasses. <laughs> and you didn't want you just tell me, just tell me. I said, no, go get your glasses. Yeah. You retrieved them, uh-huh. put them on, and then discovered he was laying in bed with like a, a Weimariner. Yeah, a dog, whatever. Just a dog was, I don't know what kind of dog, but the dog. There was a dog, and I didn't see that until I put my glasses on. Yeah. And <laughs> then it made, it made the scene made a lot more sense because it's when he's like broken down. And anyway, we won't give spoilers. He's but, alone. Yeah. And then the all dog. He, all he's got is the dog. Yes. So it made a lot more sense. I'm like, this is really escalating to an unfamiliar situation. It was like they took a, 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 what's this dramatic right turn that the show has taken that I'm not prepared for? Yeah, yeah. So this was a good reminder that even- You're blind as fuck. That, but also, you know, here's here's something that everyone is going to love to hear about. I, it's a joke. You probably won't like it. Just skip ahead. Um, No, do not do that. So I didn't know I needed glasses until I went to the DMV when I was 16 and I couldn't pass the vision test. And when I tell people this story now, it was only a few months ago when someone caused me to reflect on this. They said, I wonder how often you weren't able to see in school and you had no idea. That's something that gets talked about all the time that. Yeah. The the kid gets like moved to the front row for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden they can see and their performance is is greatly improved in school. Yeah, what yeah. the hell? I that sucks for me, but anyway, it's fine. It all worked out. Um <laughs> eventually, I, eventually you got your shit together academically. Yes. Luckily enough, it was when it most counted. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I didn't know I needed glasses until 16 at the DMV and I tried to take the vision test and they said, "Wow, you're reading all these letters wrong. You need to go get glasses, come back and get your license." So I went and got glasses, came back, got my license. Then I moved to California like years later, 3 years later, and I go to the DMV to get my license and I wasn't wearing my glasses. And they point at the board behind them, which in Idaho it was this high-tech thing where you put your face in and your forehead activated lights yeah, that, yeah. that lit up and you read the letters. In California, they just pointed a poster board with like torn out magazine letters on it. <laughs> it's like a ransom note. <laughs> yeah. And they just ask you to read a couple of the letters up there. Well, not only that, here in California, at least at our DMV here closest to us, the poster board is at a different interval, a exactly. different distance behind each person. Right. So it's not even like scientific. It's just like, Bleh, read what you can read. There is zero standardization. And you passed without glasses or contacts. Right. You've never worn contacts. Right. Years later. Yeah. Years later, you passed the California test. Right. Which does not bode well for the situation on the freeways. Exactly. And highways and byways of the state of California. You're picking up what I'm putting down. It is wildly <laughs> concerning to think about how many people are out there like me that think there's a model on the TV instead of a dog. <laughs> By the way. Driving cars. L- let me say that uh, this has nothing to do with terrible driving relative to using your fucking turn signal Californians. Yeah, yeah. 
You don't have to see to be able to flip on your turn signal. Yeah, they don't like it, though. There are a lot of reasons that California drivers are the fucking worst in America Mm -hmm. that don't have to do with seeing. Well, and my mom was from California. That's where she was born. And she told me when I was learning to drive that I didn't need to use my signal because... Wait for it. Wait for it. Here's the reason. Because no one needs to know where I'm going. Right. Logical... AF, everybody. <laughs> it's none of their business, Imagine you Imagine growing up, hashtag raised by wolves, being taught that you don't need to use your turn signal because the other drivers around you don't need to know where you're going. As though flipping on your turn signal, your direction It's giving them too much information. Yeah, it, it just, oh, they're heading down to the Costco. Yeah. They know because of your turn signal. It's a tremendous self-disclosure, putting on your signal. It is giving away way too much personal information. I, I cannot imagine what your what your mother must think now with like ring doorbells. Oh, God. And security system cameras like we have yeah. in the house. Yeah, there's zero privacy now. She she must have created that that meme that we love so much. <laughs> Where, you know, like... People used to be worried about wiretaps and stuff. Oh. And then it's a meme of someone, uh, it, rather than say, hey, Siri, yeah. they say, hey, wiretap, can I get a <laughs> can I get a, a, a recipe for whatever? Yeah. You just have to give in at some point. You do? Yeah. I'm sure the ring doorbells actually have reinforced the fear, like, now that there's so many other avenues where your privacy can be invaded. Oh. Now I, it's just guaranteed. We I, can't let people know where we're going. I just, by the way. Yeah. Sent an article to our show prep thread. Oh, right now? Ring doorbell. No, late earlier oh, today. okay. Ring doorbell just released, revealed, they revealed, like it's a magic trick. Ta-da! Mm-hmm. They revealed that they have actually fired people. Oh. For. The hacking into the cameras. Not hack. No, no, no. Not necessarily hacking in, but they're, they're ring employees who have had access to <gasps> people's saved video files. Oh, yeah, and they've fired, I think, four people over the course of the last four years. That's what they're admitting to. For, like, going in and watching people's saved videos? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Accessing inappropriately. It's people who did have access, legal relative to the company's permissions, yeah. to access it, but they were inappropriately accessing the data. It's kind of like when you work at a bank, you are not supposed to look up accounts yeah, that right. you are not like serving, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you know a celebrity or something has a bank account at the bank that you work at, you can't like Google their name and look at their account. You'll be fired for that. Yeah, I, I used to know somebody who worked at Geico Auto Insurance. Mm-hmm. 15 minutes can save you $15 or $100 or whatever more. Mm-hmm. And uh, they knew all the celebrities that had Geico Insurance and ruffled through all their bullshit. Not good. Yes. Well, hopefully that person got fired because... You're not supposed to be doing that. They did not. Okay. Well, that is very... <laughs> so if you have Geico... Yeah. Just, anything. You know you what? Any, any, any... I've all often thought about that, whether it be our phone company, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. People should just hire ethical people, and then those problems yeah. would be solved. Oh, shit. So, speaking of that, we have an email here that I would like to read. I love when you read emails. Highlight uh-huh. of my day. I once... List- Sometimes... I like you to read emails. We're not even doing the show. Say, hey, would you read that email to me? (laughs) I'm going to read this as written. All right. So there's going to be no corrections from me. All right. I once listed 
to your podcast long ago and just today happened to listen to episode 647. Mm. Concerning your comment about the possibility of fire destroying program intro and similar files, if you spend about $20 per month, you can get Dropbox Storage. This email brought to you by Dropbox Storage. I have Dropbox Storage. I have Dropbox Storage that I just got billed for today, uh-huh. $11.99. There you go. I'm getting it on the cheap. It is worth every penny for that peace of mind. It is solid. I do not know what computer you are using. I will describe the process for Windows 10, and then they let you know how to download Dropbox. All right. Also, early in the podcast, Brittany was attempting to discuss some points about psychology, and Jesse was making sleeping noises. <sighs> Wee, 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 wee. This well, was, let me say this. This was extremely disrespectful. At least. The points that Brittany <laughs> mentioned are important, and having someone behave like a, like a grade school-aged jerk is just sad. After listening to episode 647, I now remember why I had stopped listening to the podcast. When Jesse was on, it sounded just like Fox with loud shouting and a lack of nuance and sophistication. I hope you can do better. I might check again in a year or so. Well, let me let me first say that I appreciate the fact that my snoring noises were out, uh, actually recognized as what I want them to be recognized as. Mm-hmm. Sleeping noises. Mm-hmm. Bored noises. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say, I shouldn't have fucking made those. In fact, I think in retrospect, when I made them, my logic for making them to make to point out that I am completely out of my depth relative to your expertise didn't come across. It came across as me being bored or what you're saying is boring. Mm-hmm. That's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. So I'm fucking, I was fucked up. So that criticism, it, did they leave their name? No. That criticism is absolutely well taken. Mm-hmm. As far as I don't buy that they don't listen to the show all the time because you don't just happen by, well, let's check out that fucking show I don't like to listen to anymore. (laughs) And then they just happen to, oh, yep, still the same (laughs) douchebag. I I don't buy that. (laughs) As far as you not liking, as far as you not liking my loud shouting Mm -hmm. and my lack of nuance, Mm -hmm. you can go fuck yourself. Because my loud shouting is only is only there because I get fucking angry at the injustice and I get angry at the lack of leadership in our world right now. If that bothers you, go listen to fucking NPR. How about that? Well, secondly, mm. secondly, lack of fucking nuance, are you goddamn high? Because on that particular episode, we were talking about the killing of Soleimani, Qasem Soleimani, and the entire talk was filled with so much nuance that we pissed all kinds of people off. Yeah, so... so. But I said two things can be correct at the same time. He can be a bad guy, and also it could be terrible that he was killed. That is the definition of fucking nuance. So I'll stop screaming now. Well, I'm we're going to let you work it out, right? <laughs> you can work out your feelings there. And I just want to say, listen, you don't need to you don't need to do that on my behalf. Me? Person. Oh, no, them. the person who wrote in. I mean, listen, if it was so bothersome to me, 
please trust that I would say something. I mean, people that have listened to the show long enough that know that I'm going to say something if if I'm being insulted by Jesse, right? And I, it didn't necessarily make me super happy, right? In fact, after the show, we talked about we, it. We for sure right? talked about it. But uh, in the moment, I did get a playful vibe, right? It was only after I had taken time to reflect on it and think about how it could be perceived is when it started to be a problem. And that happens every time we do the show, right? How is this going to be perceived? And this is a perfect example, We've had many reviews recently that have said, you, Jesse, are too moderate, right? And now we have this person saying there's no nuance. Our our most recent review says that I'm so much of a centrist. The word centrist gets used to attach to me. Right. And I'm not saying that being a moderate or being a centrist means that you're being nuanced. I'm not trying to equate those terms, but it... It it could be like that you're equivocating, right? Yeah. And and that can be I I think sometimes considered someone being nuanced, right? Considering both sides, considering other variables. Yeah, yeah. And someone can be labeled a moderate or a centrist as a result of that. So this is a perfect example of people are going to perceive things different ways, and they're going to have different reactions to it. And there's very little that you can do to control that. In fact, I would say there's nothing that you can do to control the different ways in which people will perceive things. All we can do is our best. <laughs> well, th- there's there's a couple of different elements here that I want to talk about. I didn't, even, I didn't know you were going to read this, but I for sure want to dial back my fuck you or whatever I said. But listen, there's all kinds of other shows out there. If if my yelling and screaming and passion or whatever the fuck you want to, however you want to describe it, if it's not for you, go listen to Pod Save America. Well, I, I, I don't like what you're doing there. I, I actually wanted to comment on that, too, because you're like, well, go listen to NPR. Go listen to these other things. And that kind of has like a negative connotation. I don't I think all of those things are perfectly fine. Right. I think you're just responding to the fact that someone is like taking time out of their day. Number one, to hate listen to the show. They listened to a substantial amount of the show. And number two, write in a decently lengthy message about how they hate the show and we'll check back in in a year to see if we're still douchebags. You know, it's it's like, it's just an yeah. interesting use of your time. You know, it's well, an listen. interesting way to spend your day. When when we're all going to be dead soon, right? The time is ticking. We're all closer to yeah. death uh, right now than we were 10 seconds ago. And like, this is how you're going to spend your day. You know what I mean? No, listen, it's not go somewhere else. It's this, you, and it is kind of that you were all dying kind of a thing. But without saying that, it's... You, you want to don't you want to spend your time being happy and entertained in the way that is best for you? Yeah. Listen, if if hate listening is where it's at for you, then fucking keep doing that, brother. Sure, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> that's not how I I get down. Yeah, maybe that's what they like. So that's true. That's a fair point. But I don't know, being compared to the Fox thing. I mean, we have a drop that somebody's grandma said I I'm too much like Rush Limbaugh or something. Mm-hmm. Eh, whatever. Yeah. That that's fine for me. Yeah. Well, that's also why we have a balance, right? So, you know. Yeah, but when I say go go somewhere else, if, if, if it's going to make you happier, then do that. Yeah. That's not the role I serve. I'm not here, oh, we're going to talk about the impeachment today, and we just want to really have a nuanced view that's free from emotion. 
I'm just going to lay out the facts and let everybody decide. That's not what we fucking do here. What we do is I speak passionately about things I'm passionate about. And if you disagree, call in and tell me where I'm wrong. We're having a discussion here. Moving the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. It's not a fucking agree circle jerk. So, thank you for that email. <laughs> we... <laughs> We we do. We appreciate it. I mean, it's it's nice to know that there are people who like take time out of their day to defend me and they don't even know me. That's super nice. Can I get more of that? Yeah. Does that person actually want to follow me around and anytime there's a minor slight in my life, they take up for me in public? That would be great. This wasn't a slide. I wasn't sliding you. I'm anyway, it was a super great joke <sighs> that I made. <sighs> yeah. So this is a <sighs> careful, you're gonna offend Paris here. We're reading another email. That's prick shit, bruh. That's prick shit. Greetings from Alaska. My name is Paris, and as a fairly new listener to your show, I'm really digging it. Wow. I typically listen to NPR for the latest updates in the oh, news. We just shit on NPR. You did. Quit saying no, we. we. What is this? We. No. You were fully on board. No, I in was fact, not. You planned this whole thing. Anyway. I was going to talk very, very positively about NPR, and you're like, no, here's what I think would be better. I need you to really lambast Okay, them. here's something that you need to work on. <laughs> Gaslighting. You're not good at it, okay? All right. Well, it's a good thing, is it not? I typically listen to NPR for the latest updates in the news, but enjoy listening to your unbiased commentary on events affecting our country. Now back to the subject of the email. I'm sorry, I'm smiling because unbiased. it just feels well, like... We get that a lot about the unbiased. Well, we are not unbiased. We're for sure biased. Everyone's biased. But also, I'm just... I didn't mean for this to be passive aggressive toward the first emailer, but it's like coming off that way. And I really (laughs) didn't intend that. Like we read this one specifically to counter the other one. Yeah, we really just, I I was like, I'm, these are the two I'm going to read. And then that's what I decided. And I didn't even really notice that. Okay. Now back to the subject of the email. As an unaffiliated resident of Alaska, but one who typically votes Democrat, Due to any other party having less than 5% chance of winning an election, I have found it extremely difficult to build up the encouragement to get out and vote in presidential elections. Alaska has not cast its whopping three electoral votes for a Democrat since 1964. Mm. Statehood was 1959, mind you, and does not look to be changing anytime soon. My discouragement is on two fronts. One, with Alaska only allotted three electoral votes, candidates do not care about vying for votes here. And two, if you vote Democrat, your vote really is not going to matter in this state. What words of wisdom would y'all cast upon the lovely non-Republicans of the last frontier? Keep up the good work and stay moist. (laughs) Stay moist. Listen, your vote absolutely, Paris. Your vote absolutely counts. And... It is through those those smaller states that the discouragement comes, especially if you're a blue voter, Democrat-leaning voter, in an, in, in an otherwise red state. You know, being from Idaho, which only has one more electoral vote than you guys, we have four in Idaho. Thanks for doing that math. One, three plus one. Whoa. Four. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. Didn't even need glasses for that That one. is crazy. You 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 still need to vote because without your vote, like for instance, if somehow we were able to magically wave a wand and and convince people who are discouraged about voting because they feel some of the, some of what you just conveyed, 
and we were able to get those three votes to switch over to Democrat, it'd be a big deal. Because if you get Idaho to switch, if you get Alaska to switch, if you get North Dakota and South Dakota to switch, these and Wyoming, you know, these states that only have, you know, three to five electoral votes. And for those of you out of the country or for those of you who don't understand the electoral college system, usually, um, well, for instance, Idaho has two senators. Every state has two senators. Idaho has two congressmen, thus four electoral votes. Alaska is considered an at-large state, so they only have one congressman, plus the two senators makes three electoral votes. That's how it works. But your vote absolutely counts. Now, there are several states across the country, and I would advise everyone to push their, their state legislature to change the law that wherever the popular vote goes is where all of their electoral votes get apportioned. Because the Constitution, as it's written, gives a tremendous amount of control over elections to the individual state. That's why certain states apportion their electoral votes based on the actual percentage of the vote. Uh, most states are winner-takes-all, which is fucking nonsense. But we need a, a more democratic system relative to all of this. I'm not going to get totally in the weeds, but you need to vote. I would say maybe change your party affiliation to more accurately represent the way you vote. Because being an independent voter, and I'm sitting across the table from one here, we just happen to live in a state where the Democrats, where I'm talking about Brittany. Yeah. Um, well, I'm registered, um, not no, independent. No party preference. That's what right. we're talking about. Two different things. Yeah. Well, in California, it's two different things. In other states, it's not. Oh, I see. There just happens to be an independent party in California. I see. So you can't register as that. Okay. You'll be in a party. So anyway, getting back to it, you want to make sure that your your particular party that you're going to be primarily voting for has open primaries otherwise you don't get to control who the candidate is i feel like we're way fucking in the weeds well and i got a postcard we talked about this recently because i am a no party preference voter they sent me a postcard letting me know that if i want a partisan ballot th this was the list of parties that i could get one from and the republican party was not on there. that's right they have a closed primary so in order to vote in the republican primary you need to be registered in the republican party in california in california right and those Every rules State's do different. vary. Yeah. 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 So anyway, don't get disheartened about voting. It is your most important civic duty of choosing those who, who lead us, who represent us in government. And although sometimes I know it is, it is a, a bummer when you live in a state like Alaska, when you live in a state like Oklahoma or Idaho. Uh, a, 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 a ruby red state. It's even more important then. So Paris, thank you very much for the email. We appreciate it. We're going to move on. We appreciate your, 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 your feedback. You're helping us move the conversation forward. We would invite you, especially if you've never called into the show, to call in, interact with us, help us move the conversation forward. 657 464 7609. Of course, you can always email those voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. So I want to talk about a case, Martin versus City of Boise. 
that the Ninth Circuit recently... This is the the homeless, like, quote-unquote, right to be homeless, right? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, But first, the Ninth Circuit decided against hearing an appeal to this case. And here's where the case came from. In 2009... Robert Martin and five other homeless individuals challenged the challenged Boise's ability to fine them for violating an anti-camping ordinance. So what was happening is they're homeless, right? They're they're living on the sidewalk, they're living outside, they're yeah. living in parks, and the cops would come to them under overpasses. Right, and would cite them for violating the anti-camping ordinance. Okay. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in the past April, that cities can't arrest or punish people for sleeping on public property unless they provide adequate and relatively accessible indoor accommodations. Yeah, and by the way, just as a a, a further, we're going to draw back on this, mm-hmm. the Supreme Court just refused to overturn the overturnment. So it's this is it. That ruling is final from the Ninth Circuit. Right, because Boise, like you just said, appealed to the Supreme Court, and they argued that, quote, the creation of a de facto constitutional right to live on sidewalks and in parks will cripple the ability of more than 1,600 municipalities in the Ninth Circuit to maintain the health and safety of their communities. Yeah. So what are you going to do? If it's illegal to be homeless, what are you going to do? Fucking Boise, man. Well, so this is what's nice about the ruling. They, in, Unless there's enough shelter space, okay, for the homeless population in cities like Seattle or San Francisco, city officials can't enforce anti-vagrancy laws. Yeah, unless they've, they've provided adequately. Right, and they can't prohibit people from camping in public parks or on sidewalks. And the unfortunate thing is they can't force cities to, like, build adequate shelter space. Right. Uh, or homeless housing, but they can at least make it unconstitutional to criminalize homelessness, mm-hmm. right? And and so I think that while this is like a tragic case, it is at least hopeful that they won't be being harassed. Yeah, you know, because where where are you supposed to go? I mean, what are you supposed to do? Well, hopefully, what it'll do is wake people up to the case or the fact that municipalities need to do more for their homeless homeless populations. Right. Whether it be building building out an infrastructure where there is shelter space, where there is actual housing like they do some places in Salt Lake City, there needs to be more done. You can't just ignore the fucking problem and try to throw them in jail. Yeah, like, arresting people isn't the solution. That's exactly right. Yeah. And there there was a quote that I loved from from the court. Quote, the government cannot criminalize indigent homeless people for sleeping outdoors on public property on the false premise that they had a choice in the matter. Yeah. And. Which is an opinion held by too many people. Yeah. I don't know that I talk about homelessness on the show a lot, but it's something that on my personal pages I share a lot about. And it's something that I care a lot about, given the populations that I've primarily worked with in my work as a therapist, which have been low-income populations. Yeah. And it it's just really maddening, even when I encounter people on the left who are contemptuous of homeless people and regurgitate these talking points. Like I've heard people on the left say that most of the homeless people in Southern California moved here because it's a better uh, climate to be homeless. Yeah. 
which is a, making a choice, a strategy to maintain homelessness. Well, and listen, the statistics don't bear that out. Yeah. I mean, they do point in time studies where they go out and they actually speak to homeless people about what caused them to lose their home, why they're in the situation they're in, if they're from the community they're currently staying in, how long have they lived in that community, yeah. did they own a home in that community, did they work in that community, and the majority of homeless people in these communities have lived, worked, and owned homes in right. these communities and, or, and it is a, or had a residence in the community. And it is a, a circumstance-based uh, outcome, per se, not a, a, a choice, not a conscious effort to, you know... Got a shitty little apartment here, living a, you know, decent life, you know, like struggle, but I've got a roof over my head. I think I'm just going to go out and live behind the Home Depot. Yeah. That, that's fucking nonsense. Yeah. And people will sometimes say, oh, well, I talked to someone one time who said it was a choice. And it's like, oh, okay. So you're going to use like the one time that you talked to this one person. You didn't even really get on the ground with why they were saying yeah, that, that, right? Like if it was like say. a rationalization, you don't know, but you're going to generalize that one conversation that you had to the entire homeless population. It's maddening. I think what happens is, is actually what they do is my cousin has a friend who talked to somebody one time, and then that becomes, oh, my cousin talked about it, and then it becomes, I talked to that person. Right. I don't, listen, it is obnoxiously presumptuous to say that someone living in a moment-to-moment -moment dangerous situation, that they're choosing that because of the, they're just up for the challenge of the hardship, Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And listen, I like the phrase, uh, what solves homelessness a home. I like that, but I would add an asterisk at the end. And I would say that, like, in addition to a home, it is supportive resources. Yeah. Right? Because for a lot of the people that are experiencing homelessness, especially if they've experienced it for a long period of time, um, there are other underlying issues that need to be addressed, right? Whether they be mental health concerns or substance abuse problems or job transitioning, right? Whatever it is, there needs to be not only resources provided in the way of giving them a home, but also connecting them with resources that can help them treat any of the, uh, the underlying concerns that got them into that situation, Right. Yeah. So I hope that as we have these conversations, people make room for nuance. <laughs> yeah. And also room for compassion. And I think compassion needs to be number one. I think that for sure. Start with compassion. Right. Also, let me say something about the any slogan that becomes bumper stickerable or muralable. We have a, a mural here in 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 a local town here mm -hmm. that has. I think it says that. Yeah. The thing that cures homelessness is a home. Right. There's a lot that goes, there's a lot of moving parts than just providing a home. And how does that get done through a policy mechanism? Mm -hmm. So I just. Well, and in some cases, you're setting up people to fail. Yeah. Right. And we've seen that in some of these pilot programs where if you put someone in shelter but they're still experiencing mental health concerns or severe physical health problems, right? Or addiction, whatever. Right, it's going to be short-lived. Yeah. So it it needs to be in conjunction with other resources that help people a get holistic, on their feet, right? That help approach. them get on their feet. Yeah. And and I hope that people can find their compassion because if if you were in this situation, you would want that and I, it's a bummer that Louis CK 
is a turd because one of my favorite bits that he ever did was about homelessness. And I can't really tell the joke because I'm not Louis C.K. Well, I'll find it. We'll put it right here. Okay. Unless I can't find it, and then we'll just move on. Okay. I remember one time I was with a, a friend of mine who lives in New York also, and we went to pick up his cousin. She lived on a farm in New Hampshire her whole life. Her family is this weird family. They kept their kids on a farm. Anyway, her parents finally died, so she got to leave. And so... <laughs> She came down to visit her cousin, my friend, in the city. And so we picked her up at Port Authority bus station. She had never been to any city before, and we're picking her up at the Port Authority, that smelly hole of a place. And we pick her up there, and she's just freaking out at New York. She's never seen anything like it. And we pass this homeless guy, and she sees him. I mean, we all passed him, but she saw him. She's the only one who actually saw him. We didn't, me and her cousin were like, yeah, so he's supposed to be there. So it's uh, there's a, a perfectly good reason why that's not me and it's him. It's all, the right people always win, I'm sure of it. But so there he is. And this dude was particularly homeless. He was one of those high octane, homeless, smelly, just piss smell. The unbelievable piss smell just... So he was pissed. He didn't just smell like piss. He was... When you piss, he comes out. That's what... That's how much... It's just this dude with garbage all over him. I don't know if he had gathered it for warmth or folks just went, ugh, all day. And he had dreadlocks. Not hacky sack, cool guy, medical marijuana dreadlocks. Just human neglect clumps of hair. A clump of hair for every year that no one knew his name or cared. Yeah, that's who you've been laughing at for the last 10 minutes. That's how bad it was. And again, me and my friend were just like, meh. His cousin immediately just gets, she's like, oh my God, she takes a knee. That's how, I mean, I'm not even taking a real knee now. That's how little I give a shit about the guy. He's not even here, and I'm still like, yeah, it's close enough. She goes, oh my God, sir, are you okay? What happened? What happened? America happens. What do you mean, what happens? So she's down there, sir, can we call someone? And me and my friend, we're from New York. This is the crazy part. We immediately go to her, oh, no, 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 honey, don't, uh... We start correcting her behavior like she's doing something wrong. She's like, why, is he okay? No, no, he needs you desperately. That's not the point. We just don't do that here. So whether or not we found it, we don't know yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're in the middle of doing the show. We're professionals. We really do. A, we have a tight ship here that yeah, we run. Yeah. But anyway. Well, this is on the fly. Sorry. You didn't even know I was going to bring this up. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, sorry. Which is kind of how we roll. Yeah. Which makes the show as shitty as it is. Yeah. This is why people tune in once a year to see if we've gotten any better. Hopefully next year, guys. <laughs> Hopefully next year. So anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We'd love your feedback. Once again, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo or a regular email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and 
good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We would like to thank some PayPal donators. Yes! Uh, Michael, thank Michael. you so much, Michael, for your amazing donation on PayPal. And also Joshua. Joshua. Thank you so much to Joshua and Fan- Michael. Fantastic. You know, the PayPal thing has been picking up, right? I'm not sure. Well, but- I think the link was was kind of fucked up and I I figured something out. Yeah. We got to work around. So that's nice. There's people who don't want to sign up on Patreon yeah. for whatever reason, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I, I'm not sure why people would be afraid of Patreon, because it's it's really no different than donating on PayPal. I think you can pay through Patreon with PayPal. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes think, it easy. I think. But we would appreciate any kind of support, right? Whether it be PayPal, Patreon, shopping on Amazon and enriching Jeff Bezos through dollamore.com slash Amazon. Always got to give that informed consent. And then also just by listening to the show. Yeah. Really? I mean, that's the best support that we could ask for. Even if you hate listen, just listening to it, make sure you click that that cloud icon and download it to your phone so we can get those downloads. And also... Rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using to listen to the show. Just don't use profanity, okay? Because sometimes they won't post it. That's right. Apple Podcasts apparently is run by uh, devout members of the Latter-day Saint community, and they don't like the cursing. Whatever it might be. Just don't use it, or it won't get posted, okay? All right. (laughs) Moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's begin with a little bit of impeachment news. Uh, Mitch McConnell, there's been this pull, push-pull relationship between he and Nancy Pelosi right now, kind of battle of the legislative branch relative to the impeachment process. Uh, Article. Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution gives the House the sole power of impeachment. Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution gives the Senate the sole power to try the impeachment in the Senate. And uh, they have been going back and forth because since the articles of impeachment have passed the House, Nancy Pelosi has held on to them and not sent them on to the Senate for trial. And he believes he has a workaround here to begin an impeachment trial without actually having the articles of impeachment delivered by the House of Representatives. In our politics lead today, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he has the votes to push through his rules for the president's impeachment trial in the Senate without any support of any Democrats. And that could mean the public does not hear testimony from John Bolton or any witnesses during the Senate trial. This all coming, as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, as we learn new details on the scramble in the White House over Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor, announcing that he's willing to testify. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announcing today he has the votes to set the ground rules of the impeachment trial without the support of Democrats. We have the votes uh, once the impeachment trial has begun to pass a resolution. McConnell only needs 51 senators. And potential swing votes like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Mitt Romney have all backed his approach. 
Though Republicans are still waiting on Speaker Pelosi to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate. It continues to be my hope that the Speaker will send them on over. Sources say Pelosi has been so secretive about what she'll do, she hasn't even told some of her closest allies, like Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Democrats say they want a deal up front to hear from witnesses, a demand that has only intensified after the former National Security Advisor John Bolton said he's prepared to testify if subpoenaed. That announcement sent White House aides scrambling, sources say. Several of Trump's top advisors were in a meeting and watched the news of Bolton's announcement break on television. First of all, the articles of impeachment haven't been sent to the Senate yet, so we can't even start talking about who or if people will, will testify. Despite him having firsthand knowledge of the hold on the aid, Trump claimed today Bolton wouldn't know what they were talking about if he testified. Well, that's going to be up to the lawyers. It'll be up to the Senate, uh, and we'll see how they feel. Uh, he would know nothing about what we're talking about. <laughs> but the move puts new pressure on Republican lawmakers to eventually call witnesses, which they've been reluctant to do so far. We're not foreclosing that. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We'll see. Now, Jake, the president said he didn't think John Bolton would know much if he did testify in that Senate impeachment trial, but actually Bolton could reveal a lot. Not only did he meet privately, privately with the president, urging him to release this aid, he also was involved in that meeting with the Ukrainians here at the White House and also met with the Ukrainian leader Zelensky while in Ukraine at one point overseas. So certainly uh, no shortage of information that he could share with those senators. Yeah, he sounded the alarm internally, saying that he didn't want any part of the drug deal that some of them were cooking yep. up on the Ukraine scandal. So John Bolton wouldn't know anything about what we're doing here, yeah. a.k.a. Oh shit, John Bolton knows a whole lot. <laughs> Listen. This is not good. He was the national security director directly reporting to the president of the United States. He doesn't he doesn't report to the chief of staff. He doesn't report through some intermediary. He reports directly to the president. He has meetings with the president. He's a a top advisor. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, he's a high up advisor. He's a top advisor he would know all of the details and that's why they scramble and freak the fuck out when he says yeah subpoena me bro let's do it i'll be in there <laughs> subpoena me bro also john bolton is not some reasonable character no john bolton has been beating the drums of war against iran for years and years mm -hmm. he is absolutely a warmonger if there ever was one Mm -hmm. He is on board with Donald Trump policy. He was eager to be a part of the administration. Mm -hmm. So this is just nonsense. But what's happening here is a little bit of politics, though, obviously, because there is kind of a consti there's constitutional ambiguity. How how is 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 Mitch McConnell going to have a trial? And now they're talking about changing the rules of the Senate that if the articles of impeachment aren't conferred, uh, transferred over to the Senate from the House in 12 days, then the charges are dismissed. This would, I don't know where that would, there would be any bearing or any constitutionality whatsoever if you don't have the articles of impeachment, if you don't walk into a trial with an indictment, there is no trial.
You can't try without the charges, the actual charges. You know what they are because you watch the vote go down. But if you don't have the physical fucking indictment, you don't get to do that. And look, I'm I'm no constitutional lawyer, but I don't think it would hold up. It would it would hold up in in uh, under uh, judicial scrutiny, under constitutional scrutiny. But that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Now, Nancy Pelosi did just today announce that she is ready, maybe as early as next week, to to transfer the articles of impeachment. We may get into that next episode, but that is where we are. Now let's talk a little bit about what's going on with this Iran situation. Oh, God. Another kind of constitutional problem. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution gives the power to declare war to the legislative branch. For those of you who don't know, the three articles of the Constitution, Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, Article 1 deals with congressional authority. Article 2 deals with uh, the executive branch authority, the presidential authority. That's why Donald Trump says that, we have got this thing called an Article 2 that says I could do whatever I want. When he says that, he's talking about Article 2 of the Constitution, which clearly does not say he can do whatever he wants. But right now, there there's a movement, something that just passed in the House, something that is being considered to be taken up in the Senate, about a war powers resolution to redefine Donald Trump, to constrain Donald Trump's powers related to war with Iran, that he cannot escalate any further unless he gets precise, outlined support from the Congress, which is the way that our system was set up. Tim Kaine spoke with the Washington Post, had a few things to say about it. He's also the sponsor of this legislation in the Senate. We've been in a situation that really began with the president destroying a diplomatic deal, which was so foolish, where there's been a sense of escalations, the U.S. and its allies, Iran and its proxies, and now we're at the brink of war, which, which many of us predicted. If we, if we broke a diplomatic deal, the end result would be with the, we'd be at the brink of war, and that's where we are right now. So I am worried about that. Iran is a bad actor. That's not the question. The question is, should the U.S. be engaged in another war in the Middle East? That's what my citizens are worried about. I come from a state that is heavily military, where these families have seen their loved ones deployed over and over and over again since 2001 in the Middle East. Should the U.S. be involved in another war in the Middle East? Now, I have some Senate colleagues who I think they believe that we should. So let them make the case to the American public on the floor of the Senate. Let them vote that way. Don't let them hide under their desks and just sort of give the president a green light to violate the Constitution and start a war on his own. Um, I have many colleagues who I know believe we shouldn't be engaged in another war. But the, it would seem to me that the constitutional principle of the president can't just go to war on his own whim. There's got to be consultation and congressional authorization. I think a number of Republicans will want to guard their prerogative as senators and say this president or any president should just take America to war on their own whim. I do know one Republican colleague has said some positive things about the concept of Senator Paul of Kentucky. We shouldn't be in a war without a vote of Congress. No one should take at face value this administration's unsupported claim that there was an imminent threat. We have to actually get in and see the evidence for that. The fact that someone says imminent threat without providing any backup, frankly, neither the Senate 
nor the American public should believe it until they see the backup. They have been saying imminent threat, but they've provided no facts to support that. And look, this is an administration and a president who's shown great willingness to lie. I like that he said he's not just speaking about Trump, right? He's saying that this should be the expectation of anyone who's in the office, of anyone who's in the office. And I, I hope that we can carry that forward, because I think that once Trump is gone... A lot of us are going to be breathing a sigh of relief, right? But that doesn't mean that the corruption and the powerful, right, are suddenly going to have a backbone and be ethical and moral. That's right. Like, it is the people that keep them in check, and we need to still maintain that awareness. I think there are certain things that should be tough to do relative to government approval. And I believe starting a war should be one of those things, whether it be a supermajority vote or just the slow down of the process. Right now, we're in a situation where lots of congressmen and women uh, aren't down with the vote because it's going to reflect on them. But they should all be required to go and debate and have a talk about this. And not just pass the buck onto the executive branch, onto Donald Trump or onto Barack Obama, whomever the executive is, and say, no, you go ahead. We're going to abdicate our duty, our constitutional authority under Article 1, Section 8. And you can go ahead and just make the decision there, President. That's not how it works. Obviously, the president is the commander, the sole commander in chief of the armed forces. But the decision to declare war does not fall on he or she. It falls upon the Congress, the House, and the Senate. Now, there are, as Mike, uh, as as uh, Tim Kaine there, uh, Hillary Clinton's former running mate in 2016 from Virginia, Senator Tim, Tim Kaine, um, there are a few Republican senators of the libertarian ilk who who have in the past talked about their love and respect and devotion and duty to the Constitution of the United States. Rand Paul. Rand Paul being one who used to be reliable in this area. Now he's a golf buddy of Donald Trump. Not so reliable. (laughs) Mike Lee is another one. The other day, the Pentagon briefed the Senate on the operations in Iran, on the possible operations going forward. Now, things have cooled of late, the last few days. But Mike Lee came out of this meeting, I think, a lot more prone, a lot more likely to support Tim Kaine's um, resolution in the Senate than he was before. He spoke for about 13 minutes. We're not going to listen to 13 minutes of Mike Lee talk because I would want to fucking drown myself. But Mike Lee first talked about, with just obsequious, over-the-top praise of Donald Trump, prefacing his criticisms with all kinds of, look, I respect the president, blah, 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 just uh, just tripping all over himself to shower Donald Trump with praise. We'll play that before we we, we play his passionate defense of legislative power. We just left the briefing, uh, and we were were talking about Iran. I want to state at the outset... I support President Trump. I support and respect the manner in which he has approached his commander-in-chief powers. 
I believe that more than any other president in my lifetime, President Trump has shown a lot of restraint. He's been reluctant to get us involved in wars all over the globe. He's been very mindful and respectful of the fact that when the American people are asked to give up blood and treasure, they're sending off their sons and their daughters, their moms and their dads into battlefield. And he's therefore very careful about it. I respect that enormously. Wow. My comments at the moment are not directed toward the attack that occurred on Friday. We'll leave that to another day. I will say that we were brought into this briefing today to talk to us about that attack on Friday. I ha had hoped and expected to receive more information outlining the legal, factual, and moral justification for the attack. I was left somewhat unsatisfied on that front. The briefing lasted only 75 minutes, whereupon our briefers left. This, however, is not the biggest problem I have with the briefing, which I would add was probably the worst briefing I've seen, at least on a military issue, in the nine years I've served in the United States Senate. What I found so distressing about that briefing was that one of the messages we received from the briefers was, do not debate, do not discuss the issue of the appropriateness of further military intervention against Iran. And that if you do, you'll be emboldening Iran. The implication being that we would somehow be making America less safe by having a debate or a discussion about the appropriateness of further military involvement against the government of Iran. Now, I find this insulting and demeaning, not, not personally, but to the office that each of the 100 senators in this building happens to hold. I find it insulting and I find it demeaning to the Constitution of the United States to which we've all sworn an oath. It is, after all, the prerogative of the legislative branch to declare war. Article 1, Section 8 makes that very clear. Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 69 made clear that this was a sharp contrast from the form of government that we had prior to the Revolution a form of government in which the executive, the king, had the power to take us to war. He did not need the, the parliament to weigh in on it, to support it. That was the parliament's job after the fact, after we had gone into war. This, Hamilton explained in Federalist 69, is exactly the reason why this power was put in Article 1, Section 8, in the branch of government most accountable to the people at the most regular intervals. When we send our brave soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines into harm's way, we owe the American people the decent courtesy to follow the Constitution, to debate and discuss these actions. For them to tell us that either through a War Powers Act resolution or otherwise, for us to debate and discuss these things on the Senate floor would somehow weaken the American cause and embolden Iran in any other actions, I, I find very insulting. So what he's doing here is, one, kissing a lot of Donald Trump asshole. Absolutely getting him right in there, right in the center pucker zone. And then he goes on to give an overview, kind of a 30,000 foot constitutional lesson of how fucking things work. That if, if Donald Trump wants to declare war on Iran, he does not have the constitutional authority, the legal authority to just do it. Go to the Congress, make your case. Whether it be a joint address like a State of the Union address, something like that. Convince them to declare war. 
That is the way it should be done. But then Mike Lee gets asked by a journalist, again, this was like 13 minutes long, and he gets into some more detail of exactly how this briefing was so offensive to his sensibilities as a sitting United States senator. You guys, I know there's very little you can say about the details, but could you give us a better sense of who exactly was saying this to you, that you shouldn't debate this? Was it all of them? Was it a specific cabinet member or agency director? You know, before I comment on that publicly, I'd really like to have a conversation with the president so I can make him aware of what we were told and by whom. But I will say that the messages we received didn't get any pushback internally from the briefers. What we were told over and over again was, uh, look, this action was necessary. Uh, This was a bad guy. We we had to do it. And um, uh, we can't have division. We can't have dissension uh, within our ranks, within our government, or else it sends the wrong signal to the Iranians. And I just, I think that's completely wrong. They were asked repeatedly, what, if anything, would trigger the need for the administration to come back to Congress for a declaration of war or an authorization for the use of military force. At one point, I believe one of the briefers said something along the lines of, I'm sure we could think of something. But they struggled to identify anything. They were asked specifically, well, what about if you, uh, if you concluded, well, uh, it's not my point to get into that here. I don't want to accidentally say anything classified. My point is, they were asked a number of hypotheticals about situations in which they might have to appropriately come and ask for authorization for Congress. Not once did they say, yes, we'd need to do it in that circumstance. Uh, At one point, one of the briefers said something like, uh, don't worry, we'll consult you. Well, with history as our guide, uh, consultation isn't necessarily the same thing as authorization for the use of military force. A declaration of war or an AUMF is what the Constitution requires, and drive-by notification or after-the-fact lame briefings like the one we just received aren't adequate. Do you think the president should have carried out this attack against Soleimani? Uh, Look, I'm still agnostic as to that, Manu. Um, I I, I still haven't had the questions answered that I came into that briefing expecting to ask. They left after 75 minutes. Now, I, I understand these are busy people. They've got a lot of demands on their time. They're appearing before a coordinate branch of government, a coordinate branch of government responsible for their funding, for their confirmation, for any approval of any military action they might undertake. And they had to leave after 75 minutes while they're in the, in the process of telling us that we need to be good little boys and girls and run along and, and not debate this in public. I, I, I find that absolutely insane. I, 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 I think it's unacceptable. And so I, I, I don't know what they had in mind. I went in there hoping to get more specifics as far as the factual, legal, moral, moral justification for what they did. Um, I, I'm still undecided on that issue, in part because we never got to the details. Every time we got close, they'd say, well, um, we can't discuss that here because it's really sensitive. We're in a skiff. We're in a secure underground bunker where all electronic devices have to be checked at the door, and they still refuse to tell us. I I find that really upsetting. So if you were wanting to hear another perspective on this, (laughs) 
Oh, do we really? Marco Rubio tweeted. Oh, God. And he said, national security officials gave a compelling briefing to senators just now. They answered every important question. Anyone who walks out and says they aren't convinced action against Soleimani was justified is either never going to be convinced or just oppose everything Trump does. Yeah. That, that is the difference between a complete bootlicker, someone who has just been fucking dominated by Trump, like Marco Rubio, and somebody who I disagree with fundamentally, Mike Lee, on many things, somebody who's actually onboarding his authority as a United States senator and a member of the legislature and respecting the Constitution. Isn't it kind of strange, though, because Rand Paul was standing behind Mike Lee as he said this. Silent. He was silent, though. <laughs> That's true. But I think standing there silently yeah. is still an implicit ador- endorsement of yeah. what he's saying. Yeah, right? he wasn't like, like yeah. slowly backing away. He did stand there. That's true. And Rand Paul has been strangely protective of Donald Trump. Yeah. Very, really. You nailed it. Very strange. So I, I guess I'm just wondering, what is it about this instance that finally caused... Rand Paul silently and Mike Lee verbally to come out and start speaking in a way that is critical of the administration. I I don't know. I mean, I wish I had even some kind of a a, a guess, but, but I, because I don't. is it is it gen is it uh, genuine backbone? I don't know if that's the case. Well, right? I wouldn't say it's totally genuine backbone because he spent two minutes just pouring praise all over Donald Trump. Like, he's done such a great job, and Mm -hmm. he just hasn't. That's true. My thing here that I'm kind of concerned about is that we're we're falling into a familiar pattern post-9-11, pre-Iraq war, where it was, don't quite, you got to support the troops. Don't question. Don't debate. Don't criticize. Or the terrorists win. The same kind of thing, similar, that we're hearing from Lindsey Graham, who said that debating this issue is empowering the enemy. I think they're overreacting, quite frankly. Go debate all you want to. I'm going to debate you. <laughs> Trust me, I'm going, to, I'm going to let people know that at this moment in time, to play this game with a poor War Powers Act, which I think is unconstitutional, is that whether you mean to or not, you're empowering the enemy. Whether you mean to or not, you're empowering the enemy. A.K.A. don't criticize or the terrorists win. Mm-hmm. We're falling back into this familiar pattern. Well, it's a it's a winning one. It's a winning line, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah, it, well, it worked. I was sucked into this post 9-11. Right. I think a lot of people I mean, are. I don't think I said that exact word, but it was definitely raw, raw war. Yeah, raw, raw war. and even if you aren't a big like nationalist, right, uh, a big patriotism person, yeah, I think that it can speak to you in other ways too, right? About safety, about protection, right? Things like that. Sure, yeah. So I think it can speak to people for other reasons than raw, raw America. Yeah, it, it is. This has been um, kind of a flashback, but also a learning moment for me. To be careful, to be guarded in my rush toward military action. Because first of all, listen, 
it is a different thing about a surgical strike to eliminate certain particular targets. That is a different thing than going to all-out war with a country that you can guarantee tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of civilian deaths of Iranians who don't want to do anything other than live their lives. Who certainly don't agree with everything their government does. That's who are going to be the victims of a war between the United States and Iran. That was a tweet that was being passed around on Twitter when Iran did their response attack. Yes. I think it was a CNN tweet. Their, and their tepid, casualty-free response. They said Iraqis only, or just Iraqis, were killed Oh, in the tweet. I mean civilian, first of all, but but I, I'm not sure of the casualty count. Certainly no Americans were killed. Well... Which isn't the most important thing. What I'm saying is the tweet said only Iraqis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they, like, really used a phrase that singled out, right, no Americans were killed. That's right. And people were retweeting this, like, come on. I mean, people exist outside of America. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah, sometimes we get we get criticized for that. That when I talk about things, I'm talking about from an American perspective. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what we're doing here: is analyzing American policy. Not that it's most important that it doesn't affect anybody outside of it, but that is the the reasoning behind a president's decisions is based on the interests of of the United States. Good or bad, that is what they do. Yeah, and I understand that. I think one of the useful things about Twitter and about social networks is that you are exposed to people who are outside of your own area. And so when I saw that tweet being passed around as, hey, look at how this phrase is interpreted for people who don't live in the West. Yeah. Right? And then you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have thought twice if I was reading that, but imagine how someone else feels when they read that. It is certainly something I need to to be more of, checking my Americanness when when outlining my opinions about these particular matters. That it doesn't just matter that no Americans were were killed. People were killed, people with families, people with children. That matters. Mhm. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone. I doubt it at dollamore.com. We really would like to hear from you. This isn't just us blathering or me yelling like a Fox News character, anonymous emailer. This is is thinking in public. We're working through things in real time and... And we need your input. I would love to know how you disagree. In a way that doesn't just say that I'm uh, lacking nuance and loudly shouting like I'm on Fox News. Not really helpful. Doesn't really contribute to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Don't mind disagreement. In fact, we encourage it. It was fun to read, though. Yeah, it's a good time. We all had a good time. Gives me a chance to scream like a Fox News host. Yeah. Anyway, we love you guys. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. So, thank you for that email. <laughs> we. <laughs>
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.